March 4th, 1933, the United States was deep into the worst depression it would ever know. 48 of the 50 states had closed their banks. Two million people were homeless. A quarter of the workforce was unemployed. Industrial production had declined by more than 50% from the three years before. The nation had much to fear. Up to the podium rose a man crippled so badly by polio that for the rest of his political life, he would be physically supported by others as he spoke to our country. It was the first inauguration day for the person who would later become the only United States president to see four terms. Few knew him well, and even fewer had any idea how he would change the fortune of those listening. Within minutes of his opening, he would deliver a line that became one of the most quoted presidential remarks ever. Franklin Delano Roosevelt proclaimed, So, first of all, let me assert that my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. I want to welcome you all back. This is Dr. Jim Schrader, and I hope you've had a good week. The uh, line there I quote from my book is obviously one of the most famous lines that a president has ever uttered. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. And we're back this week. It's the uh, living a whole Christian life. And we're talking about anxiety and we're talking about fear. And this is really part two of the discussion around what is the role that anxiety and fear play in our life? And so I want to begin this podcast by talking about where we ended last time, which was a quote about anxiety that I think is really important to consider, which is this. That when fear mobilizes us or preserves us in much-needed ways, it's a good thing. But when fear is immobilizing us, there's where the problem lies. And so we begin with this idea about fear and anxiety. We talked last week about the idea that there actually are a lot of good things about fear, despite the fact that none of us really like the feeling of it. That it offers us opportunities that maybe are inherent, that actually some anxiety itself is positive, that some anxiety allows us to perform better, do things better, even be more acutely aware of our needs in general. But if we're all honest, fear is not something that we ever really want to experience. And the reality is that in so many situations, we do have something to fear, like the Great Depression and wars and famines. Throughout our world, unfortunately, we've had difficult situations that we come back to and we think about often. But that powerful quote, that really famous quote from FDR, reminds us of something that's critical for our everyday lives. And that is that for all we have to fear on the outside, for all the external forces that exist beyond us, there are equally and even more powerful forces that exist within us that drive our fear. So we're going to talk about this from a few different angles today. And the first thing we're going to talk about is something that we all do, whether or not we want to admit it something not to be ashamed about because the reality is that we are kind of battling it all day long in some ways. And that is what we call cognitive distortions. So the way to think about cognitive distortions, simply put, is that they're irrational patterns of thinking that, again, human beings do at any given time. But there are many different types of cognitive distortions. And and I'm going to talk about four today we find in our everyday lives. The first one we call catastrophizing. So the easy way to think about catastrophizing is that it's a catastrophe in our minds, right? We take something that might not be that significant and we blow it up into this potential for a disaster, for something that might go horribly wrong. And so all of us have felt this so many times in my life. I've, you know, felt an ache or pain and I thought, oh, here goes that hypochondriac again. It's got to be something really, really serious. 
or, you know, you fail something at work or you don't do something well at school and you just are assuming it's got to be leading to uh, overall failure. So catastrophizing is a really common cognitive distortion that we all struggle with. Another one is what we call filtering. So I want to think about, here's the image with filtering that's really important to consider. Take a beautiful pool full of just clear, crystal clear water. And imagine with filtering that we actually go into the filter itself, where all the bugs and the dirt and just kind of the refuse are caught. So with filtering in our mind, what we do is that we constantly focus on those bugs and all the things collected into a pool filter. And we forget about the fresh, clean water that spans the entire pool. We're caught up in all the bad things of our life, but we filter through all the positive things and let those go. Another type of cognitive distortion is what we call all or nothing thinking. So this is the sense, it kind of is exactly how it sounds, which is that it's either all good or all bad. We have trouble seeing the grays in between. We go into a situation, let's say, and we actually have a really good time, but there's one particular interaction that just didn't go well. And so we leave that party or that engagement, and all we're thinking about is, oh gosh, things went really wrong. When reality, actually, a lot of things were going really well but we really focused on one particular facet of what occurred. So one more cognitive distortion, I think this is something where we find ourselves very often in our lives, is what we call emotional reasoning. And the way to think about emotional reasoning is that it's, I feel, therefore it is. So for example, if I feel stupid, therefore I must be stupid. If I feel people don't really like me or or don't want to be around me, then they must not want to be around me at all, right? You know, if I feel hated, then I must be hated. Again, I want to point out that emotions, and we'll talk so much about this during this series, emotions are part of who we are. They're part and parcel of our being, and they actually provide so much richness, so many wonderful things in our lives. But the problem is, is that when we use emotions to define our experience, which is what happens in emotional reasoning, we neglect to consider all sorts of other aspects of that circumstance, whether it's the reality that lies around us or other perspectives or ideas. So inherent in this, you know, those are four examples of cognitive distortions. What we come back to with this idea of anxiety and that we really must confront here is that for all the external threats, for all the worst that human beings can offer, what we really know is that we can offer just as much or even more internally. And I think this is important to consider that, you know, we go back to that famous line from FDR. Let's remember, everything was going horrible at that point, right? The banks had closed. People were struggling to get food. They were struggling to survive. There was really no end in sight. You know, our country, for all the things that had gone through, the recessions and everything else, this truly was the Great Depression. There was a lot to fear. And up steps this president. I can't imagine being, you know, in your first term, you're inaugurated. And you step out and you you look in front of people who have every reason to fear and you say to them, actually, the biggest thing we have to fear is fear itself. Now, again, the key thing here is it's not just fear, but nameless fear and fear that's excessive, right? And fear that really immobilizes us is what he's focused on there. But imagine that moment and you're out in the crowd listening and you think, have you lost your mind? Do you know what we're talking about? Here we are in one of the worst periods of history, and you're telling us we need to focus on what's going on internally. But in reality, that's not just only what we need to do in our own lives and actually in our own communities, but our world over. 
that so often we look outside and we think, oh, what's going wrong? You know, right now here as I sit, there's a number of things that understandably are causing a lot of fear across the country on the situation in Ukraine and so many other things. And we need to pay attention to those and they are important. But if we don't turn inward and we don't consider how we are manipulating and what's going on with our own fear, we're forever going to struggle to come out of the cauldrons, out of the dungeons of our own existence into the light that we desire. I want to consider that all of us should think about each day, is this pattern of thinking healthy for me? Am I catastrophizing? Am I emotional reasoning? And you know, there's no shame in it, of course, because this is what we do all the time. But the reality is that the more we do it, unless we challenge it, the more we accept the messages that it's sending. And I think that's the biggest danger is that it's not that we do it that's the danger. It's that we accept what we're saying to ourselves. So I want to kind of present something that we talk a lot about. This, you know, comes out of cognitive behavioral therapy, but it really comes out of even a broader paradigm, which is what do we do with the thoughts that we can't control? We often call these automatic thoughts, which is that they really automatically register in our mind. Something like, oh, I'm going to fail or, oh, I just, there's no way I can get through this. And they register automatically and we can't always prevent that. No matter what state of mind we're in, I think we've all experienced these thoughts and you think, ah, oh, here we go again. But the great thing about it is that we can do what we call reframing. So I want to explain this idea is that we can take a thought and I always ask this, you know, when working with anybody in session or we just consider it myself in my own life is one, is this thought realistic? Very often we find ourselves kind of like not being realistic or not being fair to what has actually occurred or fair to ourselves. And so the thought itself, although possible, isn't plausible, isn't likely and actually may not be realistic at all. The second thought is, is this a healthy thought? Is this a positive thought? Now, again, there's a risk in being overly positive and naive, right? That's what we're talking about here. But what we have to ask ourselves, is this healthy for me? Are there other ways to frame this situation? And the way to think about a frame is this. If you're sitting anywhere in your house and you're listening to podcasts or you go home tonight, look up real quick at any picture you have on the wall and ask yourself this. If I took the same picture and I pulled that frame off, and I put a totally new frame around it, would the picture change? The answer, of course, is that it's not going to change, right? That picture remains the same. And that picture is our circumstance, our event. But if I took a different frame, you know, if I took a completely different type of color design, and I put it around that picture, would the overall way it presents itself shift? And the answer is yes. The picture, the event, didn't change. But the overall image does when we change the frame we put around it. And that frame that we're speaking of are the thoughts that we reorient ourselves. So you can't always control the automatic thought, but you certainly can change the frame. So if you say to yourself, I just know they despise me, maybe the frame goes something like, well, I know they get frustrated with me, but I actually think there's a lot of situations they appreciate what I do. Or there's just no way I'm going to get through this. Well, maybe what you would say is, you know what, this is a really difficult situation. But many, many, many times in my life, I've been in difficult situations before and found a way to get through it. So we have to consider that we can't always control the external. In fact, we really can't control other people, <laughs> despite as much as we might want to do that. 
And so if we can't control certain things, one of the worst things that we do is to spend so much time focused on the things we can't control and so little time and attention on focusing on the things that we can. And the essence here of this idea, the essence that FDR was trying to say was, we are in a tough situation right now, and I'm not even sure where this is going to go. But what I look out to you and I say to you is that the fear that's being cultivated, the fear that's growing inside of you, might actually be the worst enemy of all. And that's a really difficult message. And I understand that many of you listening here are going to say to yourself or say to me, whatever, you just, you, I understand what you're saying, but you're not getting my situation. My, my situation is horrible. And you're right. There's no way I can get your situation. But I guess that the question that we pose to all of ourselves is, do we want to remain in misery or not? And that's a really hard question, right? Because we might have every reason to be miserable in the first place. But I think that if we're very honest with ourselves, repeatedly we would say, you know what? I don't want to remain in misery, of course. I want to improve. And here's where the hope comes with anxiety. Here's where I think that if we're able to consider and look beyond the fear and the anxiety that we so want to avoid, that we so want to control, there are actually two key questions that we can ask ourselves to see that light in a very dark place. The first question is, what's this anxiety teaching me? What am I supposed to learn about the fear that I'm feeling? And I know that's a really difficult question, and sometimes the answer is not clear at all, but maybe one of the answers are, maybe I'm too focused on my image. Maybe I'm too focused on my accomplishments. Maybe I'm too focused on other things that aren't quite as important. And so the question is, again, if we're willing to ask about this fear, this, this worry that we have, maybe what's it trying to teach me? The second question is, what possible purpose or peace or joy might be hiding beyond the anxiety that I see? You know, in the moment, it's really hard to see anything in the horizon line when you're just consumed by fear. But here's the reality. There is another side. That Great Depression didn't remain, right? That Great Depression eventually gave way to what, of course, was a really difficult war. But that war gave way to something else. And that gave way to hope and a change and a shift. And I realize in your own life, you may be going through your own depression and your own war. But if we give up hope, if we don't consider that what lies on the other side might be more purposeful and peaceful and joyful, then really in the end, what do we have? All we have is fear. And so St. John says in this famous biblical line that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And so where we're going, where we have to go, if we desire to grow in holiness with a WH, if we desire to grow closer to God, we have to seek out the love that we might not see, but we have faith that it exists. We have to seek out the peace and the purpose that we probably can't imagine lies around the corner, but we have to give ourselves that chance. If we just seek to control that anxiety over and over, it's going to keep coming back in ways that we don't want. But if we ask ourselves, maybe what's there to learn, maybe what peace, purpose, and joy lies beyond, we may find ourselves 
opening up to a new horizon, a new possibility. About 15 years ago, I was lying in bed one night and I suddenly had this thought. It stuck with me ever since then. And I know that I've never executed, will never fully execute it. But the thought was this. What if I was only afraid of one thing? And that was not following God's will for my life. What if all the other things paled in comparison? My fear of failure, my fear of embarrassment, my fear of not belonging. What if that gave way to just one fear? Again, the fear that I just wasn't following God's will. And actually... In essence, it really wasn't a fear, but actually what I found as I contemplated that, that one night in bed, what if what mattered the most to me was my love for God and my love for what he wants for me and everything else was second? And so in that aha moment 15 years ago, I recognized that there is something to aspire to. Through all the fear, through all the anxieties, through everything that I felt, there's a greater greater love that lies beyond. So for all of you out there, whatever anxiety you're feeling tonight, whatever nervousness you're feeling, first remember that anxiety serves a purpose. There's actually a lot that we can take from it. But the second piece and the most important piece is that what you see in front of you, the fear you feel, isn't necessarily what lies beyond. And what lies beyond is a greater sense of purpose, capacity, and peace that we may not imagine now, that the people of the Great Depression may not have ever considered, but what truly is possible. I hope you all have a great week. This is Jim Schrader. Be holy, be whole.